0: How have you managed to do that or have you always had a positive mindset of I can go and do anything
1: or have you battled with that over periods of time? I had to prove the bullies wrong. That was my driver. And so to prove the bullies wrong, I needed to show them that I could be more successful than them. In business, you have people that respond to the carrot or the stick. You know, So it's kind of like the encouragement they respond to, but when they get the stick, it knocks them down. And the other ones, it's like you give them encouragement and they're like, Fah, okay, but you give them a stick and they respond. To me, the carrot and the stick worked. One of the benefits of Dubai as well is also
0: the easiness to try and get around successful people because there's so many some close together. Do you think that's one of the things that's helped you coming here push your success in terms of from a networking aspect? I hate
1: networking. Like I really, I really hate networking. If you say to me, Spence, I've got this guy I want you to meet. Okay, can you have a coffee with him? That's, that's cool. Going into a room of strangers, not knowing what anybody wants, makes me feel really uncomfortable.
0: Welcome to another episode of the podcast today. I've got the pleasure of a guest I've been looking forward to speaking to all month, who is Spencer Lodge. So Spencer has a plethora of experience in um, business, banking, sales, we've also got your own hugely successful podcast. And we've had some fascinating conversation before this even began, which we probably should have recorded. Um, so today I wanna really dive into your career and what's developed you to the point of where you are right now. So we can give as much value to the audience. The first thing I wanna ask you is um, what was your first experience coming into the business world? Cause you mentioned like off camera that you struggled in terms of like basic things in terms of like even like English and writing and like basics in school, how did you first transition out thinking I have shitty skills and actually want to go and be successful?
1: a good question I'd like to say I had shitty skills but I don't think I had any skills I was uh, I, uh, shitty skills is a step up okay. from where I was like, I just didn't do very well at school and many people don't they don't they don't connect with school I don't connect with the the, the the subject matter and of course there were some subjects I enjoyed more than others but I just didn't get very far because my attention span was really short uh, I was also bullied a lot at school as well so that compounded the fact that school wasn't a healthy environment for me to be in um, I like skiing that was one thing I really liked and so becoming a ski instructor was kind of like a, a dream for me and that's what i did um R- randomly so am i okay cool Just so like i don't know what the exams are called nowadays yeah. but we used to have something called Basic. basey yeah, yeah okay so i did all my basey exams and then we had az which is the, um, the artificial ski sloping instructor yeah. exams and so i did those did three seasons as an instructor and then Mum kicked me out of bed one day and said, you've got to get a proper job, and that's how that changed. And I then got a job in sales, that's quite simply what happened. I was selling cars for BMW, and I got fired after a month for having a bad attitude. And then the other job, there was one as an estate agent and one as an office equipment salesperson, and the estate agent required your own car, and I didn't have one, but the office equipment gave you a, a Ford Escort. <laughs> and so I took my Ford Escort, and I was happy with that. I was trained professionally how to sell they took selling very seriously they saw it as a craft and a skill rather than a lot of people do um, and they taught me how to sell they taught me how to deal with rejection they taught me how to be persistent they taught me systems and processes and it was relentless training from some very dedicated people that run that business um, and after I don't know, 18 months. I'd learnt an awful lot and I was ready to go and sell. I was a trainee until then and I was ready to go and sell and so it was B2B selling office equipment but selling office equipment was expensive kit back then you were selling office equipment you know, photocopiers for upwards of a hundred thousand pounds so all that kind of stuff back then in in the city where i was working was was profitable and commission driven and it was fun as well and there was lots of banter in the office lots of guys lots of energy friday night down the pub you know and everyone having a good time and it was uh, just an environment that i i felt very very comfortable and safe in
0: it's funny because I had a very similar start in terms of I was a ski instructor and then became an estate agent and learned those same skills of yeah. like of like sales and then like how processes work and how back in the business works. And actually I recorded a post on this earlier today about actually how I thought I'd failed at life at 21 because I didn't go to university. All my friends were coming out getting these like quote unquote good jobs. And I was like, fuck it, I really fucked this up now. And I'm stuck doing this shitty job forever. But like what I didn't realize is that I was learning the hard skills in the trenches doing the thing rather than like the theory of reading doing the thing. Mm.
1: I think When you when you explain it like that, you're right. I wonder though if I'd have stayed in the skiing industry, whether I'd have evolved into other parts of that industry, whether that was hospitality, whether that was sales of Mm. ski hardware, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, Because even to this day, I'm still very interested in the subject.
0: Do you think you need to follow a career that necessarily follows your passions? Like you mentioned, there going into skiing, and then um, you obviously ended up into like finance or banking. From there onwards do you think your people should try and follow their passions more or just go where
1: success seems to pull them it's not for me it's not about that it's finding something that you you can do easier than other people can so when you, when, when you see other people doing it and it's a real challenge for them and you can do it somewhat naturally, that means you've got, you've got an easier route to success in that space. And so for me, it's like find something that you can do that you're good at and, and build something around that. Focus on a career that's that. I mean, you take sales. Actually... Learning how to sell and being good at sales meant I probably could have moved from a myriad of different industries and and you know organisations to use that particular skill. So I wasn't I wasn't stuck with one industry, but once once I started to realise how financial services worked and the opportunities that existed there and the fact that you were solving problems for people, add that to my kind of like natural ability that I developed over the years. It worked as a marriage in heaven really, and I did well for myself.
0: One of the things you mentioned there I'm gonna pull out is natural ability you developed. Do you think a lot of people sometimes don't believe in themselves enough to maybe even try to develop their own skills?
1: The world is full of people telling themselves stories. That's all it is. People just tell themselves stories over and over and over again. They're fear-based stories. They're excuse-ridden stories that stop them being truly what they're able to be. And if only we could rewire people's brains to stop those stories and create some new ones, then you'd find a lot more successful people here on this planet and a lot less victims. How have you managed
0: to do that? Or have you always had a positive mindset of, I can go and do anything? Or have you battled with that
1: over periods of time? In business, you have people that respond to the carrot or the stick. You know, so it's kind of like the encouragement they respond to, but when they get the stick, it knocks them down. And the other ones, it's like you give them encouragement and like fa, okay. But you give them a stick, and they respond. To me, the carrot and the stick worked, and I had to prove the bullies wrong. That was my driver, and so to prove the bullies wrong, I needed to show them that I could be more successful than them. And so that was the th- what sat in the back of my mind every single day, and it was... I'll show you. And so if I was in an office with a guy who was my leader and he was like, ah, uh, oh, the others are better than you, I'll show you, okay? If it was well done, Spence, encouraging me to do better, it was then to the bullies, I'm showing you. So there was this aspect to my life all the way through my early years. Up, I'd argue up until I was in my 40s that every single day, I'll show you, okay? And once I got to that space in my mind where I knew I was winning, okay, I then found, and, and this is for me, I found other nemesis to it to go for so it was the person that was in in the lead that I would go for and I loved being the underdog and I loved being in second place that for me was a real driver I resonate with that massively because I had a lot of the
0: same uh, issues and challenges when I was younger in terms of wanting to prove a point to people and I literally just read I don't read Patrick Bet David's book is choose your enemies wisely Mm. I read that and it resonated with me so much I was like fuck I need to pick any bigger enemies because I've beaten all these people now so I need like who's bigger I can choose chase after because I like chasing people which I think Mm. probably why I used to like sports so much it's like it's competitive and I think if you make business and life competitive it gives you the drive to,
1: to keep pushing there's a great example of this that I, I talk about quite a bit about the Olympic Games and the 1500 metres there was when I was younger there was Steve Cram Sebastian Coe, and Steve Overt and these were the three best middle distance runners in the world and I used to watch them in the Olympics or at track, track and field meets on the telly and I'd watch them and I'd watch how they would come round the last bend and never be in the lead they'd always be in second place because the guy in front was looking back over his shoulder are they going are they going are they coming? not knowing when to spend but then the guy in second place was there watching I'm gonna get you I'm gonna get you gonna get you and that then that they accelerate and they would run off into win the the Olympics or whatever it was and that that image in my mind was always the place that I felt I was best to be I need to know who's ahead of me before I overtake them I need to know who's ahead of me before I win because if I'm out in front I'm not looking back I've got my head down but I don't know how quickly they're coming and so When I look at that in business, my first year of being the top advisor in the industry, I was competing with a guy called Alex Prentice and Alex was working in another country and he would work four weeks on two weeks off and I would work. And every one of those four weeks on, he would drop these massive figures in, you know, and I'd then slowly catch him up and catch him up. And then again, he'd go back to work and drop these massive figures in and it would deflate me. And I'd be like, oh, man, how am I going to beat him? How am I going to beat him? But one year he was going to go on holiday on the 1st of December. And what used to happen is the figures, you would go blind on the 1st of December. So you didn't know who was on what. But I kept working up until the cutoff, which was the 20th of December, and I flew, this is the olden days, before we had all the internet and stuff, I flew the business that had all been signed up and done, okay, to the head office in Malta of this company I worked for, and got the boat business processed, still didn't know if I'd won, but I knew, okay, I couldn't have worked any harder, and I knew I was chasing something. And then it came to the celebration, the award ceremony, and you know usually it would be me in second or third place, and then I you know the award and in second place, Alex Prentice. And it was just like, "No!" And I exploded with joy and, um, and won the award. And then again, just making me feel special, six months earlier, the chairman of that company and I were in Mexico City doing some work, and he'd, he'd gone shopping with me into jewellery stores and stuff and he's looking at watches and so he tried this watch on this gold watch and he's like yeah ask the lady the price he said that's a bit expensive for me he said what do you think of it spence and i was just like that's my dream watch you know never in a million years would i ever expect that watch you know i'd never be able to afford that and as i went to get my award on the stage he gave me a bag and inside the bag was the watch um and it was just it's just an incredibly special moment for me and when my daughter turned 21 i gifted her that watch that's an awesome story. Mm.
0: With the success you had then with that, how did you continue that momentum? Because one of the big things I believe is when you start to see success, it's like trying to keep that going. Whereas I think a lot of people sometimes take their foot off the gas and pull back. How did you keep that and let that compound
1: going forwards? Just like the Premier League, at the end of the season, the winners have won. And then there's a short break and it's zero again for me in sales it was the same we would have the christmas award ceremony around about the 23rd 22nd of december and i had a week to celebrate because first of january it was all back down to zero again so i had the momentum of wanting to prove it yet again and yet again and when you win then you're in an unfortunate place because you become the target. But I then decided that I was going to be unbeatable and nobody was going to outwork me and I would work 18 hours a day, six, seven days a week um, and just destroy people to the point where they felt they couldn't compete. Um, and that was that's what kept me going and motivated me. And I, and I just love winning, you know. Winning, winning was way more important than any money will ever be.
0: The... Tim Grover talks a lot about uh, using your dark side in, like, his books, Winning Relentless. Is that almost something you utilised in terms of some of that, something to, like, try
1: and push you to be so driven to beat everyone else? We used to have these figures that would be sent to everyone in the company once a week. This spreadsheet was sent out. And it literally had, you know, business written, business process paid it used to have the, the activity levels all this, and I would literally spend hours looking at these figures and get myself into a frenzy about them you know finding out where someone had an advantage over me what they were doing and it would just drive me to go faster and faster and harder and harder just constantly it was just like you will not beat me you will not beat me because I'd always been at school I was average you know okay I was a ski instructor I was good but I wasn't a brilliant skier I wasn't Franz Klammer you know I was a ski instructor but but so I was I was okay at lots of things, physics sport wise, but I was never the best. But this gave me the opportunity to be the best and that was something that I treasured. And yeah, you know, you find you find it in you, you know, whether it's talking to yourself in the mirror, which I'm famous for doing, okay, or or what did my, my, my boss used to say? He said, You have this incredible ability to self bollock. He said, You will beat yourself up over and over again. He said, You know, there was a time where for me to hit a, hit a goal, it was like 10,000 pounds a week. It was like the, but the, the number didn't matter, but any less than that was abject failure, it was devastation. And he'd be like, So, she did 9,000? And I'm like, Yeah, but I was supposed to do 10, I'm behind now, and it would ruin my weekend like, literally, ruin my weekend. um, But, you know, if if I was above the 10,000, it was just like, let's say it was 12 or 13. It was like, okay, well, then that's the minimum now. If I I can do 12 or 13, I can't unlearn that. I've just proved to myself I can do that. So then from next week onwards, it's going to be 12 or 13. And it was just this constant, you know, repetition. I was taught really well how to sell. I was taught financial services really well. I could see the difference that these products had in solving people's problems and so I really believed in them I believed there was a pension crisis I believed that most people got to retirement without enough money and I believed it was my duty to shake people to get them to do the right thing so that they protected themselves and their families' futures and if I didn't they weren't going to do it so I wasn't going to take any nonsense from anyone and I suppose that that commitment to to my craft as much as my commitment to making sure that people were going to do the right thing or nothing at all with me made me create that form of success
0: the one thing i take from there you just said is like conviction because like closing rate for people selling is going to be determination of like sales times conviction uh sales skills times conviction and like it takes a long time to get better at sales skills but it can you can get very convicted and believe in yourself very quickly if you look at how good you are would you say that's one of the biggest things that really drove your success when you were selling in terms of like you could literally people could feel the
1: energy coming through like there's no way this isn't the best thing for you there was that i'm sure but how i measured that Mm. i don't know one thing that i'm i'm really good at being is self-aware so i understand what my strengths and weaknesses are and 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 because i understand what they are i'm able then to stop confusing myself by thinking about lots of things i needed just to focus on one thing so i made and i'll say i made it my bitch almost uh, referrals it became literally everything to me. Everything apart from that became irrelevant. So I had my head down, focused, do I want a cold call? and spend a load of time trying to generate leads, or do I want to get referrals from everybody I meet? Well, I know that referrals are much better. How many referrals do I need to hit my objectives? And nobody in my industry got those types of referrals. It was 45 a week. It was just unheard of. People would get two or three a week. And I was like, well, 45 a week's nine a day. Nine a day is four and a half in the morning, four and a half in the afternoon. That's one an hour. Okay. That's what I've got to do. And it just... A great example of this is my friend Maria Concier Sal, when she started to help the children from Bangladesh, that she Googled how to raise money for charity. What came up is climb Mount Everest. Now, this is a lady that's never set foot in a gym. And it said on Google, if you climb Mount Everest, you can raise money for charity. So I've been to Everest. It's huge, it's terrifying, it's daunting. But for her, it was an obstacle. And the way she's positioned it in her own brain is, well, if I got over the mountain then I could help the girls, so you think about the positioning of that in her mind, and how everybody else would look at it, and I suppose for all of us, we have these types of things, you know, my dad's a great engineer, okay, if you go into my dad's barns at his house, there's Land Rovers in pieces, there's all this kind of stuff, it's immaculate my dad's warehousing, okay, like immaculate, you could go in there, you could eat your food off the floor, but you ain't coming out, and it's just a world I know nothing about, you know. My dad will talk about sprockets and screws and all kinds of aerodynamics and stuff. I'm not interested in it. I don't understand it, but he does, and he loves it. And it's really simple for him. He doesn't get why I don't get how suspension works on a car. He's just like, and I'm like, yeah. I remember going, and my my, and my motorbike broke down once. And it broke down, and I said, "Dad, I don't want my motorbike anymore." I said, "Where are you?" I'm at a phone box yeah Where are you? And he comes out and meets me. And my dad comes to my motorbike with two things in his hand just two things, okay—a spanner and a spark plug, because my dad knew that's what the problem was going to be. And he opens up the spark plug, and inside it's black. You know, it was all whatever well, they the, the coked together or whatever it is. And he's like, "Look at this, you idiot!" And I'm like where's that kept and he's like it's the spark plug it starts and he just like you could just see him looking at me like I was a complete fool and so when i look at that i think everybody has those things in their lives where they're really really just it's just very simple to them that was simple to me where that is simple to my dad guess what my dad is he's an engineer it's just very simple to him the thing you said that was interesting is you did a lot of self talk in the mirror what did you say to yourself I would talk to myself every day so I have a a process that I use where I clean my teeth and then I stand there and I look into my pupils deep into my pupils and I talk to myself about the kind of day I'm going to have now it's not under my breath it's out loud and I ask myself a question what kind of day are we going to have and the reason I do this and I have this probably two minute conversation is that I know how my subconscious works And I know I need to overrule my subconscious behaviour. I need to get my conscious behaviour to be in charge. My subconscious wants me to lay on the sofa with a bag of Cheetos, ruin the remote control, watching the sports. That's what it wants me to do. And it's a risk management device. Your subconscious wants you just to chill and not take any risks. But you you need to control that just like you need to with food, for example. You need, you know, if you're eating too much, you need to have that conversation with yourself and be really conscious of the fact that if you go and get something out of the fridge, it's not probably going to help, you know, if you grab the bag of chips, okay? And it's like they say to people, never ever go to the supermarket when you're hungry because you're going to buy too much and you're going to scoff on the way back. But it's like having that, that that approach my approach and i'm not saying anybody should have this approach it's just my approach is i need to talk to myself i make myself highly aware of the situation i'm facing for the day okay and work hard to overcome any cravings that come from me sitting there going
0: oh what about and what if and yeah but i do it's, it's funny we're very very similar um i do something very similar i have on one side of my mirror i have Charlie's principles is like the way I wanna live my life, like probably like eight bullet points. And the other one is like daily questions to ponder, which I literally just read every day and think like, what am I doing today why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Like, what's what did I do yesterday that was successful? Just to like go through my head to process information. Mm-hmm. I think too many people don't spend enough time actually thinking about what they're doing. They just do it.
1: Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree with you more. There's, there, there, there's too many decisions that are being made without thought and planning. And they're not, they're, people don't even know their decisions. That's the problem. They don't go, oh, I'm going to eat mm. chips or, oh, I'm going to be lazy or I'm going to make excuses. It's not how they think. But those things invariably happen. And they're, as you and I both know, You know, they're choices.
0: What's your process when it comes to setting goals? Like say, start 2024, what's your process in terms of, okay, well, this is the year, this is what I want to achieve professionally, personally.
1: How do you personally map that out? How Maybe how have you done that over the past? Really, really simple. So I never think about 12 months. I always think about 90 days. I take that goal of 90 days and I break that down into three monthly goals. So that's nine. that that one goal divided by three gives me my monthly goal. I then divide it by four, gives me my weekly goal. I then divide it by five, gives me my daily goal. And then I work between the five days and the one week to work out the actions I need to take to get the desired outcome. I never worry about the outcome. I just worry about the actions that I need to take. And so, and when you do this, whoever does this, whatever the goal is, it could be a BHAG, you know, your big, hairy, audacious goal. What you realize is that when you break it down and you actually know the actions you need to take it's actually not that much a lot of people get overwhelmed with goals because they think there's so much to do and not enough hours in the day to do them but when you actually break down the actions you need to take and realize you've got 10 or 12 hours a day to execute on that then actually 10 or 12 hours seems like an awful long time to execute on four things you need to do every day and to me Having that perspective and owning it in that way means it's very easy for me to measure if I've executed on it. Okay, self bollock. Come back to the point. If you haven't done it, okay, and and push yourself to do it again the next day if you haven't. But it's never overwhelming when it's broken down like that. But I need to see the finish line, and that's why I never I never go past ninety days. Three months is my max.
0: So you don't do any twelve month goals, just ninety day goals, and included in your businesses as well. Everything, everything I do
1: is ninety days. That's wild. That's a different mm. perspective. I think everyone has these one, three, five year. Yeah. Goals. look most people in business fail most people in business are average um if their business survives then they're lucky okay most people are employees most people are just enoughers most people are full of excuses and yet they're now going down that i'm gonna have a one three five year goal well how about having a today goal how about having a goal today that you can execute upon and demonstrate you can do it because the important thing here is belief if you're a Muslim and you believe you're a Muslim, there's very little I can do to change your opinion. If you're a Christian and you believe you're a Christian, there's very little I can do. You believe it, it's true. So we need belief, okay? Belief that you can do something. So if you set yourself a goal for the day and you achieve it for the day, you can't undo that. It's like riding a bike. You can't unlearn riding a bike, now you and I might go and ski the moguls together next week in a ski resort and I may not have skied for a while on the moguls will it be a bit sore on my knees yeah but we know the technique don't we we can't unlearn it we know what to do you know we can bitch about the quality of the skis or whatever it may be but we know once you achieve a goal no matter how small it is okay you can do it again and again and again. You will believe you can do it, and when you believe, you will then have some confidence around it. And if you have confidence around it, who's to say you can't increase that by five, 10 or 15%?
0: That's one of the ways I try and look is like stacking wins, or when I have moments of self-doubt is looking what I've achieved before. Even like in my office, I try and have like awards and stuff all over the walls. So like if you have moments of self-doubt, I look if I've I've done all this stuff before, it's like you've got it, you just need to see it through. Mm what would you say you've done over the years in terms of your career when uh, things maybe haven't gone the way you've wanted or you've struggled
1: in terms of business to come out of that rut or to keep going well there was a period in my life where, where things went wrong in 2012 I became a, a maverick a renegade a whatever it may be you want to call me and parted ways with the company that I built and that took me into a dark place because I'd been almost institutionalized into a way of thinking, believing, uh, behaving, um, actioning uh, to go to a place right then when I was, I was literally on my own. And it demonstrated to me something really important as I look back, and that's the difference between being an entrepreneur and an intrapreneur. An intrapreneur is not a bad thing to be, but it's wildly different from being an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur, you have an infrastructure. And you could be a, a network marketer. Mm-hmm. you can work for aloe vera this or herbal life that juice this juice that you have a product you have a corporation you have product supply you have sales tracks, strategies sales tracks tr- social media training blah, blah 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 all this kind of stuff yeah you're still going to go and find the clients you still got to build your downline but you have this all in place you're not an entrepreneur you're an intrapreneur when you are become an entrepreneur It's all on you. And what that taught me when I started to become an entrepreneur uh, at the beginning of 2013 was that I knew very little about most things in business. And I was either going to have to learn those things or find really good people to help me with them.
0: And would you say that's where your skill set was just very deep on one, two things rather
1: than being like broad? Um, Rubbish, like rubbish at most things i know how to find good people and i know how to connect with them in a way that makes them want to work with me i know how to incentivize them i know how to bond with them i know how to demonstrate my my commitment to caring about them Uh, danielle my business partner who's the brainchild of all of our businesses has been with me for 19 years she joined me as a 19 year old kid she's 38 now and we have worked together closely. She was just a 19-year-old employee of mine all those years ago. And in the last 10 years we've worked together, in the last whatever it is, years, eight or nine years or seven years, she's the CEO of the company. And her creativity and her desire to learn, she's one of these people that's committed to learn. If she gets stressed, she learns. If I get stressed, I find someone to find the answers. She's, she'll deep dive into everything. If I say to her, if I said to her, we're going to do a podcast today with this guy called Charlie, okay, she'll know everything about you. She'll know how long you're married for. She'll know your ex-wife's name. She'll know everything. She'll know how many people you slept with. Everything. She'll know everything about your business. She's everything because she will go into that much detail. And that's the strength that she has that I don't. She will research stuff and come up with ideas that I couldn't have even thought about. And so... And then you take Sarah, my assistant, she's been with me for 16 or 17 years. We have this ability to bond with people and build strong relationships going forward and that's that's something that I'm, I'm able to do. Don't take away from the fact that some people that my ambition and hope for them and their goals has blown their minds so much that it's overwhelmed them and they've had to leave as well. One of the
0: biggest mistakes, the biggest problems in business obviously is hiring the wrong people. What does your process look like in terms of actually finding the right people and then developing them to being what, they, what you want them to be it's
1: interesting you say that because my approach is always to give people a chance okay i want to give people a chance they say hire slowly fire quickly but i don't necessarily agree with that i i don't believe that you know what people are made of from interviews I don't think you always know what people are made of from their previous employer's report card either. I think a lot of the time you have to suss people out yourself. And at 53 years old, I've had as many people that I've bet my life were going to be brilliant in one hand that have been uh, awful as much as I've had people that have gone, mmm, that have turned out to be amazing. What Danielle is way too detail-focused, to sometimes give people a chance and so sometimes we see that differently but her caution means that we don't make many bad hires if it was me solely in charge of recruiting then i'd give way more people a chance and if they didn't work out very quickly i know in four weeks four weeks i know if they fit the culture
0: how do you balance out then with what you just said in terms of what you delegate to your team members and then you take on yourself
1: i, I delegate everything every single part of the business is delegated Danielle has a team. The other businesses I own, the CEOs, all have a team of people. We have weekly, or Daniel and I will talk to each other every day. My other CEOs and other businesses that I invest in typically speak to them once a week.
0: And how do you structure that over a week for yourself? Do you put most of the meetings, say, running those businesses into one day, or do you spread it out during the Every week? morning. Every morning? Yeah. And in terms of you running your day, one of the things I, I always laugh when I say it, because it's, it's impressive, is your. A fanatical drive to the gym at like silly o'clock in the morning which I think is always <laughs> makes me laugh um, have, is that something you've always done in terms of getting up early and making the most of everything or is that something again you've had to push yourself to go and do or so like a skill to learn?
1: When I was first working in London in office equipment I was starting work at 6.15 in the morning so I was up at 4.30 then so all the way from that part of my life I've been an early riser for many years I started work at 7.15 or 7.30 latest which meant when do you go to the gym Mm. you go at 5 because you come out of the gym you shower and everything else it's not like you can go at 6 o'clock like most people so it's just a routine a system that works for me and I find that again most people get up after the snooze has gone 3 or 4 times you know my alarm goes off I jump out of bed I'm very lucky to be able to get and do that I know some people watch that video every morning and go wanker (laughs) you know of course I know that and I know that people are like I hate you but also for the for whatever the percentage is that it gets them out of bed for whatever that percentage is it gives them a kick up the bum that percentage of the percentage I'm talking to for everybody else just move on how important do you think managing your
0: health and energy is in terms of you being successful with what you do because obviously you're performing at a very high level and have done you mentioned before you were flying like 100 flights a year how important do you think it is also to
1: manage to balance out like energy and recovery to not it's critical for me to exercise every day it literally is a game changer yesterday I hurt myself at the gym and I couldn't train this morning and I had to go to hospital this morning and I felt driving to hospital less I felt weaker I felt wearier even though I actually got an extra hour's sleep but um, I, I need it I need it for a myriad of reasons my, my, my mental health my conditioning my, my I need to interact with people early in the morning as well I need the, the banter there's four of us that train together I need the banter I need the competition um, uh, because I'm awake and, I, and I'm at my best first thing in the, in the day you know I, I, I don't want to do Podcast interviews at eight o'clock at night for sure because you won't get the best of me. How do you structure
0: your success and business around a personal life? You mentioned obviously
1: mm-hmm. you're a
0: father, you're married. How do you? And you seem to travel a lot as well. Like, as you mentioned elsewhere you went to Uzbekistan. You've been skiing here, there, and everywhere. How do you manage that into everything else? Just a lot of forward planning
1: and just structure. So, the, so my eldest lives here in Dubai. My youngest is in the UK. She's 21, so I make sure that I get back and see her once a month, once every five weeks um, if she's free. Um, generally shopping is a way of persuading her but apart from that um, everything else my diary sometimes on a Monday morning looks empty but by Monday lunchtime is full up and so and I'm okay with that you know it's just that I I have a structure on my diary so generally I'll say 10, 12, 2, 4, 6 they're my meeting slots 10 o'clock, 12 I've got 2 o'clock 4 o'clock, 6 why? because generally most meetings won't last more than an hour and a half and then I've got half an hour to get to the next one so I try and space them out so I've got time just to decompress between meetings in terms of my private life my wife fully respects the fact that I work she's like work as much as you want you know she's fiercely independent herself and so I don't have that nagging wife saying to me why have you not come Home from work, where are you? She's like, Do you, you do you and I'll do me? Do you think that for
0: entrepreneurs, particularly when they're younger, they are better off being single to be successful or
1: better off in a relationship? I don't think any man should be allowed to be married until he's 35, I think it should be against the law. Because I don't think any man knows what he is, who he is. He doesn't understand enough. And I don't think he understands relationships and commitment in enough detail. Now, there'll be some people listening, go, I got married at 21 and it's worked for me. I get it. I understand it. This is my opinion. Um, Most guys that I know that got married young, like I did at 26, I didn't know anything about anything you know, and there I am at 30 years old getting divorced. I just think that that if you're going to be focused on something, the last thing you need is to have someone chewing your ear off about something else. Now, it doesn't mean you can't be in a long term relationship. But I think one of the biggest mistakes entrepreneurs make is being in the wrong relationship and it's like so many people are in the wrong relationship they're, they they live separate lives or they you know they haven't got a supportive partner where well, you know that partner's like how do i help him be a more successful entrepreneur that's one thing you know a great partner would ask you know my man's going out there he's taken on the world he wants to be somebody he wants to achieve, achieve something i'm proud of him for that how do i facilitate that how do i make that better and i don't mean how do i make it better by putting food on the plate and all that no i mean how can i support him because most people that choose a partner choose someone who's relatively intelligent what can that partner do now maybe that partner is a great networker maybe great at introductions maybe that partner's you know great at building their own career themselves so they come back of a din- at the dinner table every night and they talk about their careers and their working day but you need someone who is really really good and, and a lot of people uh, men in particular are choosing partners based upon how they look rather than what they're able to deliver and I, i'm 53 i promise you Okay, you can have the best looking woman in the world. It, it, th- they get old. All right, you, you, need, you need the best partner in the world. You need a best friend, someone that supports you, someone that's got your back. Okay, someone that allows you to go and be the best version of yourself. Okay, and encourages all of that. And if that happens, then you get awesome relationships.
0: I can agree with that more. I think, as you said, I'm in a similar story in terms of that type. I got married at 27, 28, divorced at 32 because I got married too young and I didn't know who I was at 27, Whereas, like, i and
1: probably only starting to figure it out now, coming into my mid-thirties, where I think when men's ego starts to wane, that's when they should start Mm. to get married. Okay, they should never get married when they've got an outrageous ego. When did your ego wane? Um, forty-five. Why so late? Um, maybe forty-two, but definitely in my forties. Um. Because I'd been so successful for so long I was so unbeatable And I had this kind of like Worship mentality around me Of people thinking my shit didn't stink I fed into that uh, And when that all stopped And then I started to realise who I really was And I look at that as being very dark But I look back now And it was it was dark But it taught me so much about myself Was that the 2012 phase? Yeah and I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be the person that I was then anymore. I don't think that person was very nice. Someone actually wrote something on social media yesterday about meeting me in the 90s in Buenos Aires. Um looking down my nose at people talking down to them speaking to them like shit and this is what this person wrote and at the bottom it was like fuck you Spencer Lodge (laughs) and I hadn't seen a negative comment for a long long time but I thought and I didn't recognize this person but the fact that I had that impact on someone in the 90s and they still remember makes me feel really you know disappointed in myself how for anyone listening to this do you think
0: you can identify if that's a problem or a trap you're maybe coming into because I see that not in particular but with some guys in dubai who start to get pulled into that trap because i think it can lure people into a certain perspective how would you say anyone can try and
1: self-identify that and maybe how you pulled yourself out of that if you've got a really expensive car and hp you're an idiot okay that's the first thing um if you think you are amazing and you treat girls like shit you're an idiot okay if you're focused only on money Okay, and you use that money just for self-gratification, then I'd argue you've got lots to learn. The best way for you to get a real understanding of who you are okay, and real perspective on life, and I believe everyone should have to do this again by law, so men aren't allowed to marry young, but everybody should volunteer once a month for half a day. That could be a Sunday morning, doesn't matter what day of the week it is, go and volunteer. It will teach you to understand Gratitude okay and gratitude is critical for us to be humble we've got to focus on being grateful for what we have and if you've got the cars the houses the yachts whatever it may be how grateful are you and w- what difference do you make to others that's positive should be a really good measurement on what kind of a human being you are for anyone who's listening to this in dubai where can you do that you could this volunteer uae.com yeah. there's there's websites you can go to you can register as a volunteer and you can volunteer every weekend and if you're into animals you can do that if you're into people you can do people everybody can volunteer there's there's places for us to go and volunteer every single weekend and if it's not that what's the local charity that you support the sparkle foundation Mm. or whatever it may be canine friends what do you support go down there and say to them how can i help you what can I do to be valuable go and go and work in the thrift shop Mm. okay in the golden mile go and offer to go and work in there for half a day a month or half a day a week or whatever it is you've got time for and watch people that have got no money buying second hand stuff okay it will humble you and it will make you realize how lucky you are and it will also make you become a real human being again because you'll get people in there don't care about your blooming Lamborghini this and your blooming Rolex that they just care about you and You end up caring about them and that for me is really special.
0: I 100% agree with that. One of the things you mentioned there is people buying supercars on finance and that type of crap. What would you suggest people do with their money when they start to create wealth? Where should they put it? What should they invest it? What should they do?
1: Good question. And there's many different things you can do. You know, my daughter wants to build a property portfolio. That's her thing. Um, I believe you should take 50% of everything you earn, okay, and invest it like 50% of it and plan it out so make sure your retirement plan now you can say I'm not going to retire at 65 I'm going to retire at 50 okay great so plan it for 50 Um, if you have kids you're going to need to pay for their education and a university I've just had two kids come through uni it's not cheap all right allocate the money plan it out Then make sure, okay, you understand your goals and your ambitions in life and what you want to achieve. And it's different for everyone. And then go and learn. Don't just sit there and wait for somebody to tell you to invest in Nvidia stock or go and buy the latest crypto blim in this or the crypto that. Learn. If you're going to put your money into something and you have no idea what it is, then all for you if it goes wrong. Learn. Learn about the stock market. Learn about how cryptocurrencies work. Learn about if property is interesting to you, how it really works. You know, people go, "I bought a property. I paid a hundred thousand for it. It's worth one hundred and fifty now. I've made fifty grand." No, you didn't. You paid interest for the last two years on that money. So let's take that into the equation. What about your stamp duty? What about this and that and that and that transfer fees? Add this all up. Understand it. Really learn it. When my daughter Taylor said she wanted to build a property portfolio, I said, "Okay, good luck." She's like, yeah, but will you help me? I said, not until you learn about it. And she spent, last year, she spent, for six months, she spent £20,000 of her own savings on residential courses in the UK to learn about it. I take my hat off to someone that does that. It means they're dedicated and they really do want to learn so for anyone that starts to make money remember it can go very quickly as well if you start spending money on depreciating assets you're foolish if you think a lamborghini urus okay or whatever it is that a lot of people have makes you cool understand that most girls think that your penis isn't very big when you have one so it's a double-edged sword that goes with it secure yourself secure your family Take time to give to areas that you believe you can make a difference. That's time, sometimes money, okay? And you'll feel good about yourself. But you must bulletproof yourself first. Everything else comes second. Bulletproof yourself first. Put yourself in a position where you've got more money than you know what to do with. When you're in that position, then maybe you can think about things differently.
0: Agreed. What's your opinion on people investing back into themselves in terms of learning skills, mentorship, or like advice and guidance? Say like they want to go and set up a certain career. For me, my I've spent maybe $250,000 on that last few years, and that's been the one thing that's changed my life because I've learned skills quicker than anyone else, which has allowed me to get ahead of my market because I know things other people don't, which is like create the knowledge gap.
1: I see. You just hit the nail on the head. The truth is, who's the biggest investment you should make? And that's in you. Get your skills to where they need to be. Everyone should have a mentor. I think accountability is really important. You know, I, I have a personal trainer that I've worked with now for a number of years. I, I If he's not at the gym, I won't show up even though I, my intention is to, but I don't. Now luckily he's there every day. Um, he holds me accountable. I have a nutritionist called Mary. She holds me accountable. Now, she kicks my ass and bullies me and stuff and and, and uh, is in charge of the food that I eat, but she she's, she holds me accountable. I need accountability, and a mentor will hold you accountable as well. And so getting a mentor or a coach to work with, and again, Mary's, it's interesting, Mary said to me recently, She said, Spence, you know, you've done so much for me and helped me with my business and stuff. I want to do it for free for you. I'm like, you can't do it for free for me. She's like, why not? I said, because if you do it for free, you're doing it as a favour. I have to pay you, Mary. She goes, well, I'll I'll do it at discount. I said, no, I have to pay you the rate, Mary, because that exchange of money means I also hold you to account as well. And so we need that to happen. And so, oh, but Spence, you've been so kind to me, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, it's not working like this, hon. This is where we're going to do it, all right? I think a lot of people want something for nothing. A lot of people want free advice. A lot of people want free coaching or they want discounter. They can't afford it. It's, like, it's not about what you can't afford. If you're sitting renting a property that's more expensive than you should be living in or you're driving around with finance payments that you shouldn't really have on your car and you're spending your money on booze or swag at the weekend, then you really need to have a look in the mirror. Okay, but what does it say about you? Because if you haven't got money to invest in your future growth and development, then you have no future. That's as I see it. I completely agree. And I see this constantly, particular, people
0: in the fitness industry who are renting supercars and all types of crap, but they don't have the money to then go and actually focus on developing themselves and the skills that are going to get them out of like the rat race and the problem that they're stuck in. And it's almost like... Pandora's box They can never open And get out of Because they're like Trapping themselves With this giant anaconda Of like a, a lifestyle Around their neck
1: mm-hmm. I totally agree with you And if you're exposed to them I'm exposed yeah. to them But remember Most people Are what I call Just enoughers Society creates Just enoughers And there'll be people That are listening to this Right now For education And for value But they're doing nothing They're just enoughers And for those people That are just enoughers I want you to remember What you're going to be remembered for. Because most of you won't be remembered for anything. There'll be a few people at your funeral saying, he was a nice guy. He was a nice dad. But I want to be remembered for making a difference. I want to be remembered for doing something positive in the world. And I can't do those things without being. Taught and guided and coached how to do them, and so you really have to put some time into your personal development and take it really seriously. Whether that's a comparison to physical training, whether it's a comparison to food training or or anything else, take it seriously, be committed, okay? Because the only winner is you. How do you find your
0: own mentors in a professional aspect now Mm -hmm. when you're at a higher level? Because that's one of the things I've found more challenging, the more skills I've had, it's more. Difficult to find the person who has the next thing I need, who has that next piece. Of There's ginger. less
1: people as you go yeah. up the pyramid. Yeah, go go to Monaco for a weekend, okay? Then you spend spend a weekend in Monaco. You'll never be the richest person in Monaco. You'll never be the most successful person in Monaco. But also look at the people who you think wouldn't necessarily mentor. Look at someone who you really admire okay someone who's really up there that you're like he's at the pinnacle of my industry okay i don't know who those people are but whoever they are and that never mentor they're that faces of the industry okay and i guarantee you if you write to them and introduce yourself to them and tell you what you've done and what you want to achieve if you approach 10 of them there will be a couple that respond saying what do you need because they will see themselves in you. Mm. Uh, just like you do with your clients. You're yeah, like, yeah, I yeah. can see this guy's going to be great. I yeah, was in once, yeah? yeah. One That's exactly what they see. When people ask me for help, a lot of the time, if I see myself in them, then I'm desperate to try and find some time to help them.
0: That's uh, some very, very good advice. It's not, it's not hard. No. And you'll be
1: surprised who says yes. Yeah. Someone that you think would be out of touch. But then that will elevate your business further because then you will say, my mentor is Arnold Schwarzenegger, whoever it may yeah, be, yeah, yeah. yeah? Oh, so your mentor's Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yeah, that's why I am where I am. Well, no, if he's getting coached by Arnie, yeah. then I want to work with him, or whoever that person may be.
0: Yeah, I think um, one of the benefits of Dubai as well is also the easiness to try and get around successful people because there's so many some close together. Do you think that's one of the things that's helped... You coming here push your success in terms of from a
1: networking aspect. I hate networking. Like I really, I really hate networking. If you say to me, Spence, I've got this guy I want you to meet. Okay, can you have a coffee with him? That's that's cool. Going into a room of strangers, not knowing what anybody wants, makes me feel really uncomfortable. So, I really have to I have to think long and hard because I, I don't know who's in the room. Okay, I don't know if it's a billionaire, a millionaire, or a nothing. Okay, I don't, I don't know. And so that means, is this like cold calling? Yeah, 100%. You know, is this like, who am I going to meet? Am I going to meet a kitchen salesman? Or am I going to meet, you know, the, the, the guy that owns the kitchen company? You know, and so that, that, that's always a challenge in networking. Um, there's no doubt that networking for many people is really effective. But I, I think networking is different to prospecting. And a lot of people go networking to prospect, whereas I believe you should go networking to try and work out how you can build um, your community and how you can bring value to those people before you think about what you can sell them. And when you go to many networking events here, someone's got their business card, they're shoving it in your face and they want to try and flog you something. And that's not, that's not to me networking being parts of clubs and associations i think is where the value is so whether you're a a member of the um, capital club whether you're a member of the arts club whether you're a member of rotary or something a a community that get together regularly to help and support each other is what i believe is effective networking i completely agree
0: in terms of um as your career has developed probably the last 10-15 years with social media coming how do you think that's changed and how are you utilizing that now continuing to with your growth like you have your own podcast it's very successful what's your strategy with that
1: i have no idea why everyone doesn't have a podcast it's lost on me a podcast is such a great way to meet people you think about it let's say i want to do business with 10 people okay but i don't know how to get in front of them i can cold call them i can send them an email uh, i might get rejection i might not get you know anything how do, I, how do I get those people? If I invite all of those 10 on a podcast and I spend an hour and a half getting to know them, learning about their story, their background, their family, their history, their challenges, their high days, their low days, I learn all about that. At the end of that conversation, that person feels that I'm really interested in them. Two weeks later, I contact them and say, hey, can I buy you a coffee? I've got a couple more questions for you. And by the way, everyone loves you. That awesome. That podcast was awesome. They'll have a coffee with you. That coffee can lead to many, many different opportunities. A podcast is a great prospecting tool. Social media, if you... and, And let's be very clear... I, d- I have not done social media well you know I'm sitting there I, have, I don't know 130,000 people across various different channels it's nothing compared to others I'm a 54 year old guy I'm white I'm kind of like I'm, I'm 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 not the category that people are that interested in you know people say to me oh you look a lot younger thanks okay doesn't take it away I talk about subjects that aren't sexy I refuse and I've had social media agencies say to me Spence can we do you with the Ferraris can we do you with this the, the yachts and I'm like you will never do me with that that was me once in my life but that's not me now yeah no but young people need to be inspired and they need and i'm like it's not going to happen it's just it's just not okay well maybe we can't grow your audience i'm like the people that are attracted to that i probably don't want in my audience i want the people that are attracted to learning so i haven't done social media well but i know right this minute if i posted out to my social media accounts a product or a service that solved a problem that I could generate 40, 50, 60, 70 leads in the next hour from that audience. So if I wanted to monetize that part of it, I think I could do that relatively easily. Um, I'm still on a learning journey myself with 300 episodes into the podcast. I'm still learning. And I, uh, I, I know how to make money out of the podcast. I, I'm not Joe Rogan, okay? I was definitely not Stephen yet, even though we've had some good times together and I'm not some of the other big podcasts. And I would love to be. You know, The documentary that we made was made by having a guest on the show that said, when I said to him, I'm jealous you've got a TV show, he looked back at me and went, well, why haven't you got one? And I was like, oh, didn't even know where to start. So I want to get somewhere. I'm on a journey. I'm nowhere near it. I'd argue that I'm failing in many areas around it because I haven't mastered it. But um, I know for sure its value is immense because if everyone's got 20,000 followers on social media, there's an audience of people that you can influence, an audience of people you can educate and an audience of people that you can grow your business with. The last question I wanted to
0: ask you is what advice would you give yourself at 20, 22 years old now, knowing what you know now?
1: There's a few pieces of advice. Don't get married. Okay. Okay. Until you're old enough to understand what that commitment is. That 35 plus is the clear rule. 30, 35 plus yeah. I, I even think some people it's not you know 35 is <laughs> too young but yeah well, my dad got married at 45 so, so uh, yeah, yeah dad's smart so <laughs> <laughs> um, don't get married young so I wouldn't have got married I'd have been much better with my money I, I was making a lot of money when I was very young and I was spending a lot of money as well so I'd have been I'd have been a lot smarter with my money the money that I earned from the age of 24 23 24 years old to the money I earned when I was Saying that though, all the money I had between 24 and 30, I gave away in the divorce anyway. So uh, it didn't matter what I did with it. it was <laughs> I thing. gave it away. But if I had not got married, then, then I'd have been able to use that money wiser. But I'd have been smarter with money. And, and I would have taken some time looking back to learn about my, my strengths and weaknesses. Rather than being an arrogant, egotistical person like I was, I'd have been. You know, be, I look back on that time in my life, and yeah, I was successful, and but I don't think for a lot of people I was a very nice person, and and that just I've I'm, I have shame around that. Cool. Big thank you for your time today. Uh, Where's the best place people we'll find out about yourself? Your own podcast so the podcast is called unscripted with spencer lodge so you can find that my name sounds like an old people's home so it's not <laughs> hard to find <laughs> and uh, spencer.lodge is insta and all the other stuff but yeah look, look spencer and lodge old people's homes there's only one other spencer lodge that exists out there and that's a hotel in Rotorua in new zealand and so if you land on that website you'll realize that's not me
0: awesome big thank you for uh, everyone listening to this enjoy it make sure you make sure you go over and follow uh, spencer uh, share the podcast hit like button if you're watching this on youtube and subscribe and we'll see you next episode soon Thank you. That's really, really good. Mm -hmm. Thank you.